A warm welcome to the Creative Places and Faces podcast, the podcast that explores places that help to inspire creativity. Some are local, some even formative, and others are far away and sometimes rather exotic. I'm Mike Payne, one of the Creative Places and Faces team. Let me introduce you to your host, Jackie DeBurka. Jackie is originally from Dublin, Ireland, but has spent a lot of time abroad, especially in Spain. She is the author of Salvador Dali at Home, creator of Travel Inspires, and the number one travel and tourism influencer, Q2 2020, according to Global Data. Over to you, Jackie. Today's guest is Maliki O'Doherty, who has worked with the BBC, the Belfast Telegraph, The Guardian, The Irish Times, amongst others. He is also the author of 10 books. Our chat today is going to investigate how the places that Maliki has spent time in may have influenced both his creativity and life. This journey takes us from a little village called Muff in County Donegal, where Maliki was born in March 1951, and next down to Belfast, India, Libya and Geneva, and then back to Belfast. Welcome Maliki and thanks very much for joining me. Can you describe where you were born, the village of Muff in County Donegal? Well, I have no memory of Muff uh, in my childhood. I've obviously passed through it many times since, uh, but I have no recollection of what life was like there. Uh, if you go up the main street, then uh, about halfway up on your right-hand side, you'll see a little green pebble-dash house. Uh, and I was born with my twin brother, in an upstairs bedroom, the one on the right, if you're standing in front looking at it. Really? Okay. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, I, 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 my father was a barman locally. Um, my mother, I suppose, was just having too many children to be doing anything else at that time. Um, <laughs> uh, maybe, well, two twins born 11 months after the second sister. Yes. You know, yeah. Does, is, is a bit of clutter about the place. Um, <laughs> We were we were baptized immediately in in that room. I think uh, uh, I presume a priest was sent for, or maybe just uh, were you? somebody. Well, we were. I don't know who did it, but but there were, we were premature twins, not expected ah. to thrive, and so ah. we got the we got the baptism done as quickly as they could. And so then how, we had a form. I was going. To, sorry how, to cut. Yes, how, how premature were you, Maliki? Oh, well, I don't know. I mean, uh, I mean, I, I remember vague accounts of this. I'm not going to chance saying out loud, uh, <laughs> what, how I remember it because I probably remember mm -hmm. it wrongly, but I was told I was about the size of a milk bottle. Um, really? and there were two of us. And, uh, and I think Roger, my brother was considered to be in greater danger than I was. Uh, he was saved fortunately by St. Anne's water. Whatever that is, really? or wherever it comes from, I don't know. But yes, that's the that's the <laughs> that's the family story. He wasn't expected to make the first night, and and somebody brought some St Anne's water, and blessed him with that, and said the requisite prayers, and he's he's as fit as a fiddle now. Wow. Okay. And <laughs> of course, of course, the memories are you know almost non-existent, Maliki, as you've already said. So, do you even know what age you were when you moved from Muff to Ballycastle? Oh yeah, yeah. We we about eighteen months. Um, uh -huh. re recently I was doing some research in this, and I actually this is a story I had decided after all the uh, sex scandals in the church that I wanted to clearly uh, break off from the Catholic Church and and disavow all connection with it. Um, mm -hmm. And there was a website where, where through which you could do that, 
And I, so I found the, I, I sought out the church in which we were later formally baptized, uh, to okay. get some information about that. And a very nice priest there, uh, looked up the records and, and it is, a, it was, I can't even remember the name of the townland, but it's about two miles from Muffin in Ishoan, mm-hmm. a little village church. And the priest was so nice about it <laughs> that I felt I couldn't say, well, Thank you. You give me all the information I need to 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 leave to resign my my commission. You know, <laughs> uh, so I just so I just left it open. But uh, oh. but yes, I, we were baptized together at um, at about seventeen months old. And okay. the story told down through the family then is that when the priest put salt on our lips, we spat it out. No, really. <laughs> now, other people have come back to me and said, well, I never heard of a child having salt put in his lips during a baptism. But apparently this was part of uh, the country ritual of baptism at that time. And so any, any idea why, Malachi, why, why they would have I done that? I haven't the remotest notion. No, no, okay. I, I don't, I don't uh, have any idea why. I presume it was just, uh, I don't know, it was some kind of, there, there was some blessing or some ritual, uh, which at that time, and it may not have been universal because other people certainly have said they think I'm talking complete nonsense when I tell the story. <laughs> but this story was told down through our family for years that by the time we got properly baptized, we were running around like we nuisances and spitting the salt out. So, so I, <laughs> I'm not going to call my mother a liar just to no. placate someone else's notion of, uh, of sacramental ritual, you know. Well, I've never ever heard either about the St. Anne's water or the salt <laughs> uh, in, in my years in Ireland either. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, you mentioned earlier on, Malachi, obviously yourself and Roger, you arrived prematurely uh, only 11 months after the birth of your sister Breed. Now, yes. do you believe it was your arrival uh, that triggered the relocation to Ballycastle plus your job, your dad moved his job, didn't he, at that time from muff uh, to a, a bar in Belfast? I think that must be true. And I mean, you know, there's no way I was anything but an accident. You know, uh, <laughs> twins, twin, the second twin born 11 months after uh, a sister, you know, it's it's inconceivable that that was planned or, or hoped for, you know. Mm, so, I can imagine, so, yeah. so, so, so that hangs over me still. <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, but yes, uh, it, it what happened was that my mother uh, moved with the four children, five children, because there was another one born then uh, about a month after our christening, which must have been why they squeezed in the christening to so they wouldn't end up doing three together. But um, wow. they, they, we all moved to Ballycastle. That was because mm-hmm. my mother's parents were around the corner on Colerain mm-hmm. Road. We were in a little housing complex called Knocklead View. And, and the grandparents, my grandparents were around the corner. Um, they had a lovely cottage with what was called a long acre at the back. This was, uh-huh. as I, this, as I understand it, was the, the pension of a, of a, of a public servant. He'd been uh, in the Navy and, mm. and that was his retirement was, uh, was, was a long acre behind a cottage where he could grow sufficient vegetables to sustain himself. And what and, would, would- would he Go have ahead. had sea views? Would, sorry, Malachi, would they have had sea views from there, from the cottage? No, 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 no sea view. But, but not far from the sea. But this is on the Coleraine Road going out of Ballycastle away from the sea. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, uh, but yeah, it would have been, you know, I mean, I'd, we were so small. I was, we were there for 
about four years left in 1956. Uh-huh. I was uh, I was only five years old at that time, so um, uh, so I don't I don't have much recollection of going down to the to, to the shore, except on oh, one occasion. I well, if do you remember if you've been to Valley Castle, you'll know that down by the by the shore there is an old land or an old sea mine painted red uh-huh. and white, which is used as a collection box for collecting money uh, okay. for I presume. I don't know, the British Legion or retired sailors or something like that. And mm-hmm. I think I have, a, I have a vague memory of my parents taking me down and seeing that and me kicking it to see if it would explode. <laughs> <laughs> and being warned very solemnly that I shouldn't <laughs> kick it because it might indeed explode. And believing that, you know. Uh, so so you can see my, my parents were as fond of spinning a yarn as ever I was. Okay. And, and when you say, uh, Malachi, there's... I sort of imagined I had, uh, have not been to Ballycastle myself and only really relying on beautiful photographs online. I had more of a romantic, um, visualization of your, your sort of four years there. So were, did, were you out exploring like the countryside or what? We were what a little, your... we were, we were a little housing, uh, development, which was probably new called Knocklade View. Uh, uh-huh. At the foot of Knocklade, the the mountain, although the mountain, you see, the, my my mother would discipline us by telling us that the bogeyman lived in the mountain, <laughs> and therefore the mountain, instead of being this beautiful, uh, you know, uh, scenery behind us, was was this threatening presence, you know. But no, I remember playing around the little streets, uh, uh, you know, the little housing complex. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't remember much. I remember I have some vague memory of sitting alone on the curbstone while a neighbor threw fireworks and I saw fireworks bangers for the first time. And I remember <laughs> okay. some of the names of the neighbors and, uh, and, uh, and my grandfather's cottage, uh, just around the corner, mm-hmm. which was fascinating because there was topiary, isn't that the word for hedge that is sculpted? Uh, you know, he'd, uh, he'd sculpted hedges. He'd poppies, which he warned us not to really? smell. They would give you a headache. And he had a neighbor <laughs> woman who wore a wig. And this fascinated us because we, you know, oh, we were always hoping I can that imagine take her wig off. And off. No, no idea why she was wearing a wig, but a very clear visual memory of it still. This this black curly wig sitting like a hat on this woman's head, and her entirely oblivious to the fact that we were all staring at it. You know? But uh, but so, so and school. We started school in Ballycastle. Um, mm-hmm. So I started school twice. I started school in Valley Castle and then I started school in Belfast again. So four years old at, uh, uh, starting school at a little, we were in babies class. Babies uh-huh. was the bottom one and then there was senior infants and then there was primary one. And babies class was taken by Sister Mary. And it was, um, you know, it was just, I mean, I walk past that building sometimes and I still get the heebie jeebies. Um, well, I cried my eyes out on my oh. first day at school. We were slapped, you know, we were actually slapped as, you know, mm-hmm. with, uh, there was an orange box and, uh, uh that the, the nun had, uh, strips off this orange box or tea chest or something, but it wasn't a proper cane. We had this very light wood from mm-hmm. some kind of packing case that, that was used to slap us. And I remember one day we were, um, uh, invited to bring in, uh, cakes and orange juice for an end of term party or something. And we'd all sit at our desks and I'd brought in a snowball. And have you ever tried to make, eat a snowball without making crumbs? You know, <laughs> so you're there, you're, you're there supposedly having a party and there's this horror with a stick at the top of the class telling you oh. not to make crumbs, you know, 
Oh, so yeah. it, it was all just frightening and awful. And uh, yeah, and, I can imagine. Uh, I, I actually spent yeah. a year, uh, age ten, in Colossian Arena in yeah. Waterford, and right. there it's a it's sort of a similar memory, but not as young as yourself. Mm. And there, yeah. the Bananchi, she used to get a cane, and yeah. actually just want to try it out on the on the children, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, amazing, you know, amazing. Mm, yeah, um, absolutely. So, I mean, I could talk longer about Ballycastle. You'll not get much done. But it was interesting. I, I suppose one of the things was just being a wee boy, being a twin, uh, being a centre of attention as a twin. Um, and, and I mean, there was one day my mother had bought us both these coloured berries uh, mm-hmm. and we went off to and we wore them to school. And somehow or other, we took this notion to post these home to us, to ourselves, you know. So we stuck them okay. in a letterbox and arrived home <laughs> without the berries to tell uh, <laughs> Mummy that we'd posted them. And, of course, she was she, furious. And mm. th- that night I had a nightmare in which I saw my berry at the top of the spire of the church in the Diamond in Valley Castle. But <laughs> next day the postman delivered the berries to the house, <laughs> <you know? laughs> And there was uh, another thing I couldn't swallow. God, you've got me started. I had a problem <laughs> that I couldn't swallow properly, so I couldn't really? use the straw for. I couldn't use the straw for the school milk, so I was oh. sent home with a box of straws with instructions to my mother that I was to use a straw for everything that I drank at home to learn how to use a straw. That's unbelievable. So these, these are the humiliations. Yeah, yeah. That have, that have shaped me into the cantankerous person that I am. You know. But they do. They they stick. They stick with you. I mean, that's kind of a a very bizarre thing to do. Come on. I mean, this was sixty five years ago. You know. Mm, I know. <laughs> you know, and still, you know, I can still see. I can still see my berry at the top of the spire, and I can still uh, feel the straw going soggy in my mouth. You know. I know. Often. I know. And yeah. I and I know Malachi from the research I was doing before the interview. Obviously, your dad played also a very central role, uh, and at mm. that time he was. He was cycling more or less a sixty mile round trip to visit yourself. Oh, not round trip, sixty miles each way. So oh, wasn't it? Twenty miles. Yeah, few wow. it's a round okay. trip of well. So uh, I, you know, he he was working in a bar in Belfast. Mm-hmm. We were living in a house in Ballycastle. It is about mm-hmm. fifty five, sixty miles away, and uh, and so uh, he would work in the bar. And the bar bars closed at ten o'clock at night then. Uh-huh. And, okay. Uh, and I suppose you had an hour cleaning up afterwards. And, and I'm not saying he did this every night. I think he probably did it once a week or once every couple yeah. of weeks. But yeah. he would have uh, he would have cycled uh, uh, from from Belfast uh, up to Ballycastle, and we would wake up in the morning, and he'd be there, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, you know, he was a good cyclist. He'd he'd been a racing cyclist uh, in uh, in Derry in his youth, and he had uh, won cups for that, and there were. I mean, I think I still have one of the cups. I know I have one of the cups upstairs. Yeah, yeah. With the, the handle falling off. One of the handles is falling off. Because <laughs> he, yeah, I think he won. Didn't he win something like literally about a year or so before either you yeah, the or the wasn't it? Was the, the midsummer race out to mm-hmm. Limavady and back yeah, or something yeah. like that? Yeah, yeah. Although Richard Doherty, who's uh, an historian and uh, in Derry, uh, contests that version and says really? there's another Bingo Doherty who might have been, but but he, you know he's not he's not making an issue of it. But I think I think probably uh, so one some Bingo Doherty won that race and uh-huh. and okay. has, has his has his name on the 
on the the plinth of the of the cup that mm. and uh, but and I am I'm sticking the claim to that Bo Doherty having been my father. <laughs> okay, I, I I also was very amused when I read uh, your comparison to Flann O'Brien, obviously the half man half bicycle scenario. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the, that was also very amusing. Um, one of the things, Malachi, you mentioned your obviously your twin brother uh, mm. Roger and mm. the beret story and so on. I noticed when I was researching, I noticed that Roger, I'm not comparing the two of you as photographers, but you're, you're both very skilled photographers. I was well, curious. Very much. Yeah. <laughs> you're welcome. I was curious, Malachi, do you, do you see any particular reason for that? Uh, do you feel that's just a gen- genetic situation or do you think that maybe it's linked to any of the environments that you both link- lived in? I think twins become more alike when you separate them. You know, uh-huh. I think when okay. you when you're when you're together and you're constantly being stood beside each other and compared, um, then you become resentful of that and you try to draw away from the other or distinguish yourself from the other. Um, mm-hmm. And then when you're not together, you don't have to do that, and therefore mm. the natural similarity, uh, uh, you know, returns. I mean, for instance, he 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 doesn't write much. He does write. He does. He's he's a political activist and he, and he writes political speeches and talks. But he published an article in a magazine before I did. And oh, really? He might, you know, so he, you know, he might well have, have taken the course I had taken and, and, and become a journalist and, and a writer of books. The same, mm. the same aptitude is there. Um, mm-hmm. I'll, tell, I'll tell you a story. People talk about coincidences of things that happen with twins. Um, some years ago, I was invited to do work with the RUC on uh-huh, okay. uh, the community awareness program mm-hmm. and this you know and um and uh you know i didn't talk to other people about it because i was going into uh police stations having you know giving uh organizing discussion groups with police trainees and so on and mm-hmm. this was a time when uh when you could be in some at some risk if, right, if that yeah. was widely known um but I had a query about the way the work was going, and I knew that Roger was involved in some community affairs work with with a council in England. Uh, mm-hmm. So I phoned him up and I just told him, you know, this is what's happening, and and have you ever heard of this? Like, are you have any sense of it? And he said, I do the same work with the police here. That's he amazing. He was going in. He was going into the, the, giving talks to the police in that North of England. You know, mm. on 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 community awareness and 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 the problems arising there. So how does that happen? You know, that, that can be. Yeah, no, know, that, that's bizarre. You know, um, the, the, the connection. You know. I think the connection. My my mother was a twin, but not identical mm. like yourself. Yeah, like yourself. Well, we we were told. We were told we were not identical. The the doctor who delivered us in that room and muff uh, told my mother that we were fraternal twins. So really, so I, so I yeah. Well, he told you know. I, I don't know. We never had a DNA thing done to assert mm. it. But, okay. uh, you know, I mean, you could understand similarities like both liking Bob Dylan or, or whatever, you know, and both having a, an orientation towards politics and political discussion. But mm-hmm. both at the same time doing community awareness training with police forces in two different islands, you know, it's, a, it's a, you know, it, it almost would... Uh, Incline you to believing in predestination and karma, wouldn't it? You know? Oh, that's a, another, obviously a massive discussion <laughs> that can bring, bring us on to your I time in India. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. <laughs> but we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in time. Um, yeah. 
going back to your father, Malachi, now, mm. obviously, you know, like myself, you're a grown up person. But as a child, it's, it's really impossible for us to understand the pressures that our parents might be under. Um, obviously the effect of their bad moods and how they treat us, uh, can be very long lasting and detrimental. Do you think that when you wrote the book about your father under his roof, was it in any way therapeutic for you? Well, it was illuminating because it uh, focuses the mind on, on the big questions about his character and the relationship in the family. Mm-hmm. When you're a child, you're living in a very, you're living in a perpetual present in a way. You're living in a mm-hmm. very, every, every decade in life is shorter than the decade before it. I don't know. I hate to break that to you, but it's true. Uh, <laughs> as, as, as you explained, don't worry. I'm, I, I'm discovering. <laughs> and the longest of them all is the first decade, you know. So you yeah. have a sense of, you have a sense of time being, uh, uh, virtually static, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and things not really changing. And when you look back on it and then you think of your parents, I mean, were they married after the war, uh, both in their thirties, uh, between, 1948 and 1956, they had six children. You know, that, know. you know, that must, that must have felt like an amazing whirlwind to them. You know, they course, must have felt yeah. virtually swept off their feet by events. Oh. You know, whereas we, I as a child inside those events had no sense of that, uh, of that storm basically that it hit their oh. lives. So I suppose oh. when you go back to look at it and you try and put yourself in their shoes and see how they were seeing it and, and the kind of pressures that they were under. Uh, you know, and to find yourself, you know, uh, within eight years having six children and, mm, yeah, uh, uh, and moving home twice in that period and, mm-hmm. uh, and having to earn a living, you know, uh, you know, that, that must have been quite a storm in their lives. This episode of the Creative Places and Faces podcast is sponsored by Property Insurance Center. Property Insurance Center's sponsorship helps to support the local economy by promoting not only local writers, artists, and craftspeople, but also entities involved in travel, tourism, and hospitality. This first series of the Creative Places and Faces podcast has an exciting lineup of guests, including Jan Carson, Henry McDonald, Ann Smith, Malachi O'Doherty, Andrea Spencer, Helen Sharkey, Emma Thorpe, and many others. Today's sponsor, Property Insurance Center, specializes in commercial and residential property insurance and all types of business insurance. Originally established in 1976, this family insurance brokerage has served thousands of businesses and families just like you over the decades. To discover more or become a sponsor, click on the sponsorship link below this podcast. And now back to you, Jackie. I mean, I credit my father with uh, having been able to sustain that, you know, and mm-hmm. and, to, and to raise a family. But he was a he was a man of a generation that is was that, that produced an awful lot of surly men, you know. He was he was he was a surly, uh, snappish sort of man. Um, mm-hmm. He, uh, you know, the sort of thing you're sitting and watching Top of the Pops on a Thursday night. And you hear the key and turning in the door and immediately you go and turn the volume down. And even right, despite right. that, the first thing he says is, turn that rubbish off. You know, hmm. you know, that, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, yeah. so, you know, sympathy with a, a certain amount of struggle. Um, 
not quite understanding why that was the experience of so many other children at that time. Um, mm. I mean, I did, uh, for a time, I taught a memoir class at Queen's. And, yes, you know, yeah. if you're looking at it from the outside, you would think that most of the stories you would hear would be stories about the troubles. But mm-hmm. the stories, the stories that, that were recurring within different groups over years, I did, taught this for about 10 years. One of the recurring stories was fathers, you know, mm. uh, you know, blunt, unfeeling, uh, angry fathers, you know, mm. and, and an incredible number. I wonder, is it that generation that came after the Second World War? had their lives disrupted by that they maybe look back on the second world war with some sense that that was the intense period in their lives and everything was dull and drab afterwards or just I would, simple I would think so, that, yeah yeah and, and just the the other side of it being that that money was so scarce you know mm-hmm. you, i people my age will every i mean if i say this everyone that's listening will remember who left the immersion heater on? <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. You know that, that was the cry in every household, you know, yeah. uh, you know, because the, this, that was the greatest defense was to leave the immersion heater on. We didn't have central heating. You know, now you, you know, now you, everybody has central heating. Uh, it's, you know, but, you know, if you ask what were the biggest changes in, uh, in, in our lives in the last 50 years, surely almost Surely one of the biggest and perhaps even the biggest is just central heating. We're all of warmer. Yeah. We don't get yeah. into cold beds at night. We don't shiver mm-hmm. around a fire that's dying. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we, we don't get sent out to the coal shed to bring a shovel of coal in, you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, you know, and you don't, and the smoking, you know, I mean, there were six children, two adults. So we had people all sitting around. Uh, a living room watching TV and you could hardly see the TV through the smoke. Well, that's exaggerating, but there would be a, cl- <laughs> a cloud of blue cigarette smoke just hanging in the air, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, even the paintwork getting slightly tainted by the nicotine, you know, this was yeah. a normal part of life. Yeah. Very, very, very different days. And, and, mm. uh, I think what you've said, Malachi, about the, 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 the big change, the stark, uh, change mm-hmm. between the Second World War, and then the sort of banal kind of normality of dealing yeah. with just earning money, and that probably goes somewhere towards explaining men I of think your so, because, Yeah, because it wasn't, my father was one of those men, I mean, he he was never violent, he never hit me, uh, but mm-hmm. he scoffed at me, he shouted at me, he belittled me. I mean, I remember mm-hmm. once when he took me out to give me a driving lesson, you know, I mean, it was totally impossible for him to give me a driving lesson because he was constantly grabbing the wheel and saying, oh, don't be so stupid, you know, and what are you doing right. this for? And oh, for goodness sake, concentrate, you know. I said over there, yeah. I said over there, not that way, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Um, yeah. And I mean, I said it in the, I end the book by saying, you know, that when we carried his coffin up the street, you know, it was the first time he was ever at my shoulder without telling me that what I was doing, I was doing wrong, you know. Mm-hmm. So he was bad for my morale. Yeah, of course. Of course he was. And I think he didn't understand education. And I mean, not that we had great education. I mean, I've, okay, I'm well educated now, but within his life, that was a later thing. Um, you know, the education that we had was basically a secondary school education, but he couldn't, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he, 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 you know, he understood families in which boys did what their fathers did. You know, mm-hmm. boys left school at 15. They were good at, the working under under a car and uh, uh-huh. and you know he you know he you know he didn't understand and couldn't relate to boys who uh, 
good ideas uh, that they would go on and 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 be professional or 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 just explorative and creative. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I hadn't a notion of, of that at all. And yet I say that and I'm wrong because, I mean, I was going through his things and one of the books I found was a wee volume of the Ruby out of Omar Khayyam, you know. So he was, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't have a single letter that he ever wrote to me. You know, I don't, uh, I don't recall him. Um, I call him sitting hunched in his chair reading the Sunday press, you know, and, and commenting on uh, what he was reading there. But I don't, uh, I don't uh, recall him as a writer or, uh, you know, uh, uh, doing anything like that, you know, um, or, or reading a novel or, 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 or anything. So, you know, so you're, you're this kind of a man. You've been through the Second World War, not as a soldier, but uh, with working with the, the fire service in Derry at the time. And you now have six children and one of these idiot sons wants to be a poet, you know. And what bloody money, you know, how's he ever going to make a living as a poor, or he wants to be a writer, you know, you know, it's yeah, just, yeah. you know, you, you know, from his perspective, this is just stupid, you know, mm-hmm. and then you have a mother who defends this, you know, who, who hopes that her, her bright boys will go on and, um, outshine everything before them, you know, um, yeah. and, and so I think he felt, uh, he felt lost in relation to that and more comfortable. Among men like himself, who mm-hmm. could could have their drink at the bar and scoff at these uh, the folly of young people, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, in in the book on my own two wheels, you wrote, mm. "Neither my father nor I turned into the sixty-year-olds that we expected to be. He had been born to be a countryman, but lived the mm. latter part of his life on a suburban housing estate. Do yeah. you think that if your dad?" had managed somehow or other to move back to his homeland in Donegal um, at some stage, you know, when you were all reared, would would he have felt a bit less embittered with his life, do you think? I think so. I, you know, at the same time, Donegal is a strange place. You don't really belong in Donegal unless you have property, you know, a wee bit of mm-hmm. land, you know, to own a house and, mm-hmm. uh, and something. Uh, in Belfast, he had a semi-detached house and a housing estate, but with quite a substantial garden in front of it, and he did grow spuds, and he always had dogs. Um, okay. But yeah, you know, when you went up to visit him in his latter years, and he was sitting there in front of the fire with his duncher on, you know, you kind of thought, you know, this man, this man belongs in a cottage somewhere. He doesn't really belong in uh, in in a in a city i you know i don't know this could be completely wrong other people in my family might hear me saying a thing like that and be appalled i'm being okay. so superficial and stupid um i don't know much about our forebears but i think our forebears in donegal were more the uh, you know more like me more the making do you know more the people who make something and sell it you know uh, mm-hmm. I, small business people or, or something like that. I don't think there, you know, I don't know of any lineage of, of farmers or anything, you know, uh, okay. so, and yet, yet he, yet he enjoyed, he was, he, he loved the garden and he was often in the garden and, and he, even in the middle of a housing estate in West Belfast, he, he had his rows of spuds and, mm. and stuff, you know, and he was growing things. Um, so I suppose I'm surprising myself by how little I actually know of who we are and where we're from, you know. But I often thought that the way that I was working and living as a freelance journalist, you know, of, um, was almost like uh, there was something of the tinker's lifestyle about it, 
you know, mm-hmm. where you were, you were, you know, you were making do from week to week and you were trying to, uh, talking to editors and pitching ideas to them or to radio producers and pitching them program ideas. And you were yeah. cobbling something together out of your own resources and out of mm-hmm. your own plumas. Is that the word, you know, of interacting with people and getting something out of them? You know, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I have a kind of a notion that that's, uh, that that's, there's a wee bit of traveler blood showing through there. And that where okay. it wasn't, where it wasn't, you know, where it was literary and it was conversational and it was, you know, gathering stories and stuff and, 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 and shaping them and writing them, you know, mm-hmm. that, uh, uh, two generations back, it might have been, might have been some other pr- commodity, you know, uh, requiring yeah. a little bit of, uh, uh, deftness and a bit of, you know, uh, 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 uh you know, the interaction with other people, the journalism is, you know, is yeah. very, very well suited to me. And I think my dad would would have liked that. I think there's something even similar to the barman, you know, mm-hmm. you know, the people coming in and telling you yarn at the bar and humoring them a bit and getting a tail out of them. And yeah. then uh, then on account of getting a tail out of them, getting a bit more of a tip, maybe, you know, or getting bought a drink. You know, there's something, you know, there's, there's something, I mean, I'm only thinking this out as I'm saying it to you, uh, you mm-hmm. know, but there is some similarity uh, between that and the life of the of the freelance journalist, less so of the staff journalist. The staff staff journalist uh, talk about people. Your staff journalist just does the same thing over and over again. You know, there's about six yeah. template stories in the BBC News. You know, and whether it's John Hume dying or an earthquake in uh, a, you know in in on Rockall or whatever. You know, there's still basically the same format of doing it. Whereas okay. the freelance journalism, the uh, comment based journalism that I do is more uh, or weaving something out of nothing sometimes it feels like, you know, it's, it's like pulling ideas out of the air. It's, uh, having a chat with somebody and picking something up and working it into something else. You know, it's, you know, being able to kind of come back over a bar as your dad would have done and have that kind of crack, as you said, going on with the customers. Uh, do you see that as being sort of a similar type of energy that a freelance journalist has to go with to, find, obviously, storylines that they're going to pitch to editors, that type of thing, you know? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, one of the great journalists that I worked with was a man called Terry Sharkey, and I remember once going out on a job with him, mm-hmm. and we had to go into a pub in uh, Money Moor, actually, uh, in County Tyrone. And, you know, we walk in, and I'm standing there beside him mm. looking around thinking, how are we going to do this, you know? And he's just chatting away to people. And I thought, that's it. That's what this is. <laughs> you know, is that is, and, and Barney, my dad was, my, he was like that, you know, he, uh, you know, and that's in me now. I, uh, you know, I've the, the, yeah. the greater confidence has developed and, and, and I do the same thing. I, you know, mm-hmm. walk into any situation, even though sometimes I just go out for a wee spin on the bike and just, uh, see somebody and just stop and talk to them, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and, and in this country, at least, yet you don't get regarded as necessarily being uh, intrusive or weird if you do that. You know, you're not immediately uh, suspected as somebody that might be dangerous if you just uh, stop by somebody in the park and say, hello, how's it going? Are you all right there? And, uh, you know, uh, I mean, with Barney, with my dad, you know, he'd just be at the, the gate and it would be queer weather we're having, you know, and uh, and, <laughs> and away you go, you know, you know, you know. So there's something, there's, some, there's something about that, um, there's something about that that relates to the whole storytelling 
you know, there was there are people, and and nature has made us so that we uh, uh, we pick things up and we bring them home and we share them, and it's part of the the leavening of human society that you'll have somebody who who superficially appears to be just wasting his time, but he's he or she is is feeding into the whole thing, you know. As Jackie just couldn't stop asking questions, this interview has been split into a few episodes. Be sure to check out the next one. The link is below.